Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer, and this is episode 38. And on this episode, I'm joined by an old friend, uh, Scott Pfeiffer, an attorney with Pfeiffer, Gleaton, Wyatt, and Hewitt out of Greenville, South Carolina. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Uh, glad to be here. You know, uh, I say that you're a special one because you and I have known each other uh, since 1994 was when we first met in Greenville. That's been you know, we're old. That's been a long time ago. <laughs> That's been a long time ago. <laughs> many, many we weren't as old then. <laughs> no, we weren't, and we played a lot of fun games. Now, Scott, I, thank you for the show. You're here because you are uh, you're an attorney. You own a law firm. Your name is obviously on the, uh, the marquee there. Uh, but you also are a gamer, right? I am. I've been a gamer since I was in probably seventh grade. Okay, and you have mixed your legal uh, profession and the gaming world a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ex experience, kind of how you've had an impact in the in the gaming community with your uh, legal expertise. Well, I started using my legal expertise in the gaming uh, community when um, Avalon Con uh, was slated to go away. Uh, back in the old days, Avalon Hill Gaming Company ran the Avalon Con, and me and my friends from Greenville, we went up every year to that. And when Avalon Hill was being bought by Hasbro, Avalon Con was going to go away. And the Avalon Hill employee that ran Avalon Con was Don Greenwood, well-known game designer. And um, I went to him and said, this is too good to, to let go. We should We should do this privately. And he talked to some other people up there, and they agreed. And so I formed the um, Board Game Players Association, which is a South Carolina nonprofit uh, corporation. And Don and I together uh, appointed the first board of directors and started it off, and it started running the World Board Gaming Championships. And that was in 1999. And I've been the general counsel ever since. And since then, I've also represented some game designers with their ideas and helping them get trademarks and copyrights and sign manufacturing agreements and do those sorts of things. So, well, Cool. And I have been to the World Board Game Championship, and it was fun to play with you guys. And, and you don't just go. When you say that you guys from Greenville just go, you don't just go to the <laughs> – right? Well, we started going in 1993, I think, and it was five of us. And our first trip up there, we won the team tournament championship. And, and I've been every year since, uh, and so have there are three of us, me, John Emery, and Bruce Young that have been every year since. And uh, these days we take about 16 to 20 people every year, including our kids now. Uh, both of my kids go, and uh, Ralph Gleaton brought his kid, uh, his son RJ this year, and Brian Collars brought his son this year, and so it's becoming a multi-generational thing. And you and you you have a nickname. Your team it's uh, the Green we're the Greenville Mafia. The Greenville Mafia, and it was fun to see you guys there last year. I've been twice. 1994, the second year <laughs> you guys went, I went with you, and last year. Yep. Uh, so right, <laughs> I've, I've been there twice with you. That the the front end and the back end. Um, but but, right. but we're here to talk about Kickstarter. Now you have been kind of following Kickstarter because you're very intrigued by some of the things that are going Kickstarter. Uh, on with Kickstarter from a legal standpoint, and you and I have been talking, and you introduced me to some concepts that uh, that I'd kind of like to touch on. We don't have a whole lot of time on the show, but you really, let's talk about kind of what is Kickstarter doing it 
doing and why are they doing it? So give us a little bit of overview of, of, the, of the law of money, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I represent entrepreneurially owned businesses. And one of the things I do for them, of course, is help them raise money by helping them comply with the securities laws. And uh, anytime a company raises money and they're going to give money back, whether it's debt or it's equity of some kind, no matter how big or small they are, that's a security. And in order to sell securities, you have to comply with the, both federal and state securities laws. You either have to register or you have to be exempt. And registration and even exemption is often very expensive. And there are limitations on your ability to advertise, so you can't use the Internet. So what Kickstarter does um, is it doesn't allow you to give money and profits back to the people that fund your project. Instead, you have to give them a copy of the game or do something for them. And the reason that they do that is because they're trying to make that money that they receive not be a security so that you don't have to comply with the securities laws, which are very expensive and would prevent you from advertising on the Internet. So, so for me, when you say securities laws, I think of Wall Street, the Occupy uh, movement. I think of these big, huge organizations. Are you telling me that uh, I put up a game on Kickstarter, I raised $5,000, that if I did that in, in another way and I wanted to basically give a piece of my company, even though it's $5,000, I'd fall under these security laws and have to get involved with that? No question. Oh. There's no question. If you said, I'd like to raise $5,000, I'm going to make this game, and if it's profitable, I'm going to give you back your five grand plus half of the profits, that's a security. And that security has to be registered or exempt from registration federally with the SEC and in every state where you raise huh. money from someone. Oh, my. So – Okay, I got it. It just—it's hard to imagine or conceive that because the board game industry, you know it, I know it. It's small. We're we're a lot right. of small little companies that are kind of doing our thing, and to think that this huge, the SEC is is involved because we just wanted to do, to give away a piece of our company and give back profits. Okay, so now, so that you've given and us there and there are lots of exemptions from registration that you might qualify for. But, you but go. all the existing exemptions are blown by advertising, and the Internet is advertising. Got and it. that's why you're in trouble if you did that, and that's why Kickstarter has the rules that they have. Okay, and so let's talk about Kickstarter then, because Kickstarter does have some rules. It says you cannot, you cannot give away a piece of the company because, as you just explained, that would be a security. That's a security. You can't give away um, – uh, you can't give away – Money back. Hey, if you give me that, ten dollars, I'll give you twenty dollars back. Because that would also be a security. All right. You can't. They have a rule. Uh, can't do a raffle. Why can't I do a raffle? Because that would be illegal gambling in most states. <laughs> okay. So I can't gamble. Gambling. Anytime you have, anytime you pay some money, there's an element of chance, and you have a chance to get a prize back. That's gambling. Okay. Oh, that's a. Uh... It's always wonderful talking to a lawyer. Okay, so there we go. There we, that's just uh, – all right. So now we understand their rules. So now – so is Kickstarter going to keep going like this, or are there going to be changes? Because I think you've hinted that, that maybe the IRS is looking at Congress is starting to look at this. What are, we, what are we seeing happening and changing out there? Well, there's a couple of interesting things going on. One is um, if the money you're getting through Kickstarter isn't – a security, it's not debt or equity that you're raising, what is it? Kickstarter really doesn't say, and 
how do you have to treat it from a tax perspective? Is it income and you pay ordinary income tax on it? Is it a gift? If it's a gift, somebody better be filing a gift tax return, especially if it's more than $10,000 from any one individual. And why would it be a gift? Uh, you're not a nonprofit. Uh, your game company probably isn't a nonprofit, so it can't be a nonprofit donation. So there's there's a lot of ambiguity as to what it is. And with Kickstarter projects starting to raise over a million dollars, you can bet the IRS is going to start wondering what it is and asking some questions. Uh, and the other thing is, is that Congress has recognized this sort of new uh, Internet way of raising money, and there are a lot of bills in front of Congress right now to create an, a new exemption from the securities laws for what's called crowdfunding, which would essentially allow Kickstarter-type fundraising, but you would be allowed to sell securities. You would be allowed to sell a piece of your company or, or offer people their money back. Oh, that would be interesting. So we'll see. So Congress is actually – they've seen it. They're working on it, and they're kind of – you know, I've always wondered, what would happen if we kick-started everything? i got a pothole out in front of my house. Okay, I think I'm going to kick-start that, raise money from all the right. neighbors. I mean, it would be really interesting if, if we kick-started everything. It, it, it would be, and it's going to be interesting to see as we become a more and more wired and broadbanded world um, how that changes society. Okay, very interesting. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about some other things that you're really good at, and that is you help game companies understand. Because here, here's where I'm coming from: so many of the people who are listening to the show on Kickstarter in the board game space are oftentimes they're launching a game, they're starting a little company, and they and honestly, most of us don't know the first thing about what we need to do to protect ourselves from. Um, from anything. And so what is some advice that you would give to somebody or to some of your clients who are kind of in this place? They've just got $5,000, $10,000. They're now making this mm -hmm. game, and they decide that they want to go incorporate. Uh, what do they need to do to protect themselves? Well, you know, a good first step is to have an entity of some kind to handle your business. Uh, anytime you're going to be entering into contracts, um, those contracts always have a risk that you won't be able to perform for one reason or another. And you want that liability for that business arrangement to be within the business entity and not not come back home to you and your and your day job or your or your house or your you know your savings accounts. So you should organize into some kind of company, whether it's a limited liability company or a or a subchapter S corporation. And that's probably a twenty minute conversation all by itself as to which one you should be. Uh and then you should also, you know, board gaming really is all about intellectual property. So you should consider uh, trademarks and copyrights. Okay, let's talk about trademarks. What's a trademark, and how do I how do I get one? A trademark protects your name, your logo, your slogan, any kind of uh, words or or symbols that you use to sell your products or your services. So, if you're a game company and you're making a game, you really have several different trademark options. You know, if you're if you intend to be a game company that's going to make a lot of games, you're going to want to create and protect a good um, knowable logo slash trade name for your company so that people start to recognize it and see it and it's your brand for quality games. And then the game itself you can trademark that name because you know you don't want somebody else to put out a, a game with a very similar you know if your game becomes very popular Somebody's going to come out with kind of a knockoff version with a similar name, and you want to be able to try to keep them from doing that if you can. 
Okay, so let me ask you that. Um, we can't go into a whole lot of depth on these, but I always have questions. For example, I go out on BoardGameGeek and I type in the word Camelot. Mm -hmm. And whoosh, up come a dozen games called Camelot. How, how, does right. that, how is that possible? Well, probably because none of them trademarked the name. Can, um, can you trademark Camelot? Well, maybe not. Uh, Camelot's kind of a famous thing. Uh, and there are restrictions on what you can or can't trademark. So the name Camelot being sort of a famous thing, it's it's in the public domain because any potential copyrights to you know Mort d'Arthur have long since lapsed. So it's unlikely they would let you trademark the name Camelot. Uh, so when you select a name, if you want to be able to trademark and protect it, it's got to be unique. It can't be merely descriptive. It has to be in some ways. Um, you know, a, a unique vision and, and not used by things like that. Okay. All right, that's good to know. All right, let's talk about, so that's trademark. I trademark my brand. I trademark my logo, my company name, my game name. Uh, what's mm -hmm. the difference between trademarking my game name and copywriting? I don't copyright my game name, right? Well, that's right. Trademarks cover the name or logos that you're using to sell your brand. A co I mean, trademarks do. A copyright protects... Uh, artistic expression. So you can copyright, for example, the map. You can copyright art that's in your game. You can copyright the, the rule book if you wrote it and it's got some interesting rules and some interesting ways of explaining things. As long as it's your original work of expression, whether it's visual art or written work or whatever, you can copyright that. Okay, so let me ask you a question. There's been a lot of with the movement of so many of the games from board games to iPad and to the mm -hmm. iPhone, I see occasionally a game that I own pop up on an iPad or an iPhone, and it's not owned. I know that it's not the same owner, that somebody has just simply gone and copied the mechanics of the game, thrown some different artwork on there, and now and caused, called it something different. But it's, it's clearly the same game. Right. So... Well, it's difficult to, you know, there's sort of a third piece of intellectual property called a patent, and patents protect processes and inventions. It's very difficult, although not impossible, to patent a game system. So if you came up with sort of a very unique game system, you could theoretically patent it. Um, barring that, though, you know, your copyright protects your artistic expression. It also protects derivative works. So if you've copyrighted your rule book and you've copyrighted your map and you see something thrown up there that's obviously your game just tinkered at the edges, that may be a derivative work. And if you've registered your copyright, you might have an action to make them stop and make them pay you all the money that they've made. Yeah, but this is the board game industry, and we know nobody makes a lot of money. So it's well, that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> so it's mostly just make them but stop. But sometimes a nasty letter from a lawyer will make them stop. <laughs> hey, I bet you're good at those nasty letters, aren't you? I, I am. <laughs> All right, let's talk about then. Uh, let's talk about manufacturing. Uh, most companies, if you're going to manufacture something, it seems like you're going to offshore it. Everything's going to be done out of China. Right. So, I'm sure you give advice to people like, okay, well, if you're going to look at manufacturing, what are some of the things that you need to do? Because most of the I'm, most of the people doing a Kickstarter project have not had a whole lot of experience dealing with manufacturing, and particularly manufacturing overseas. 
Yeah, well, if you're going to manufacture your game in China, it's probably going to be less expensive, but you can pretty much kiss goodbye any kind of intellectual property protection you want to um, have. Why? Well, China just isn't very good about protecting people's intellectual property. So if you wanted to sell that game in China, you're going to lose it, or are you just saying that it might end up back over here? There, there might be a knockoff version end up back over here. All right. Okay. If there's any money in it, right? All right. Um, so you know, dealing with dealing with China is difficult because if there's a problem, they're over there in China, and you really don't have any um, ability to do anything about it because most board game designers you don't have the money to do anything about it. So uh, you know, if you can find a more local kind of American game manufacturer, that's probably preferable because you don't have enough money to deal with China really. Uh, and in the small lots you're bringing in, your your shipping and importing costs might be more than than you're going to save. Okay. But if you're gonna if you're gonna enter into any kind of game manufacturing agreement, um, you know there's a few things to watch out for. Uh, some game manufacturers will say they want all the money up front before they make anything. Uh, I would hesitate to do that. Uh, the best game. Uh, manufacturing contracts, you pay in kind of chunks. So you might pay an upfront fee for them to sort of get started, and then you might pay another fee after you've seen the prototype for them to make the games, and then you pay the final amount when they've actually delivered your games to you. Um, some now, uh, with all the internet publishing and stuff, they make them as you as you order them, which is nice. But you should still be paying them something on the as-you-go basis. You know, you don't want to give somebody 100% of their money before they've delivered their work. Got it. All right. And, uh, okay. And then if I don't, how do I find one of those manufacturing contracts? Where do do I go? Well, most game manufacturers will have their own kind of in-house contract. Um, But, uh, you know, if it's anything you're putting any kind of money into, um, I'd advise you to get a lawyer to look it over because it's probably going to be written pretty pro-manufacturer. And you want to make sure that it covers things like your intellectual property, which we just talked about. You want to make sure you're not in that agreement assigning your patents or your trademarks or your copyrights over to the game manufacturer, which happens in some of these agreements. Right, and that, and not only in the uh, manufacturer, but also if you're the publisher and the designer, that's the same thing can happen as well, too. If you're a game designer and you give your... Uh, your property to a publisher, you can lose it there as well, right? That's exactly right. So, you know, all you're really selling at the end of the day, if you're the game designer, is your intellectual property. And you need to be on the lookout with all of your agreements that it talks about the intellectual property. You don't want to leave that blank or not covered. Uh, You want it covered, and you want it to say that it's yours. Okay. Well, we only have a minute to our left. Uh, Scott, this is great information. Do you provide advice outside of the borders of South Carolina? I mean, professionally. If, if somebody has got a pretty big project and they're looking for advice, do you take on clients outside uh, South Carolina? Yeah, I have a lot of clients all over. Okay. Um, and so cause sometimes what they're talking about, like, you know, is federal law that I can talk about almost anywhere. And if it gets down into something that's very specific to your state, um, We'll locate a local attorney to be local counsel and, and give you advice that way. How would how would somebody find you? What's the URL for your uh, for your law firm? It's www.pgwh.com. Pgwh.com. That stands for 
Pfeiffer Gleaton. Actually, it's pgwhlaw.com. Pgwhlaw.com. All right. Yeah. And you have a Twitter feed, right? What's your Twitter feed? Uh, F is in Frederick. S is in Scott Pfeiffer. So FS Pfeiffer. And Pfeiffer is P F I E F F E R. P F E I. Oh, F-F-E-R. got it wrong. Got it wrong. All right. Perfect. Scott, always a pleasure to talk to you, and we don't do it enough, but thank you so much for coming on here and in these 20 minutes just kind of sharing a little bit. I know we just touched on little things. You know, we need to have you back. Would you be willing to come back on the show and talk about maybe one or two of these topics in depth? I'd be happy to. This has been awesome, and uh, hopefully some people can reach out to you, and uh, if they have some questions, uh, hopefully you have you who are listening have enjoyed what you've had to hear scott's a great uh, a great friend but he's also a great resource for the board game industry and he's done wonderful things for the industry over the years scott thank you for being on the show thank you richard i appreciate it that's our time time is up you've been listening to funding the dream a game whisperer podcast for kickstarters i'm richard bliss the game whisperer you've been listening to scott pfeiffer uh, talk about all the things legal when it comes to kickstarter thank you for listening uh, hopefully you've been inspired you'll take the time to go out Put your own dream out on Kickstarter so we can see it and help you fund your dream. Thank you for listening. Take care.